0: Hey, everybody, you're listening to Big Things with Zach Miko. On today's episode, we have CEO and co founder of Dia Co., Nadia Bujarwa. Now sit back, relax, and listen to that sweet music. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Big Things with Zach Miko. As always, I'm your host, Zach Miko. How's everybody doing today? It's been great. Today's been great. It's sunny and bright in New York City, and it's only about 47 degrees, but compared to the blizzards we just had back-to-back, it's like a toasty, beautiful summer day. Everything's going good. I hope everything's going good wherever your neck of the woods is where you are listening. We have a hell of a show for you today. I sit down with the CEO and co-founder of Dia & Co, Nadia Bujarwa, and she's absolutely amazing. She's an incredible entrepreneur, an incredible businesswoman. I mean, her and her partner built this massive plus-size clothing empire, and I couldn't be more excited to talk to her. But before that, a little bit of housekeeping. For everyone who's liked, subscribed, wrote a review, thank you guys so much. For anyone who hasn't done that, please go subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Reviews matter for some reason. I don't know why, but that seems to be the whole game is actually you guys reviewing us. So the more you review us, the better content we can get, the better guests we can get. The cooler stuff we can do. It's it's a win-win for everybody. It takes two seconds. I would love it if you guys could subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. I would love you guys even more than I already do. And I love you pretty darn much. Also, everyone know on Thursdays we have been doing the Extra Big Thursdays Q&A session. And I love doing them. And I love doing them so much, we aren't going to do them every Thursday anymore. Uh, Uh, what happens is it, it, we're definitely going to still do it and we love doing it and we love connecting, but I don't want to be, I I don't want to, I don't want you guys to get sick of me. I don't want to push myself on you all that much. So, what happens is, as questions come in, we are going to go through them on the show. And our extra big Thursdays will actually be extra. They'll be bonus. They're not stopping. It's just going to be like a fun little surprise with some fun, cool new thing happening. And in the meantime, please keep sending in your questions at Twitter and Instagram at Zach Miko, Z-S-H-M-I-K-O. Facebook, Facebook.com slash big things pod, big things with Zach Miko. And on our own website we have a website bigthingspod.com go check it out you can listen to all the episodes there download them straight from there you can email us at zach at bigthingspod.com and josh at bigthingspod.com and i highly recommend you do so and i know you're all tired because it's daylight savings time which or daylight savings day or daylight savings we're springing forward i don't know what it's called all i know is i hate it not the actual springing forward because i'm really liking. I'm looking outside right now, and there's a sun. And I haven't seen the sun in about six months. I've I've been like the groundhog in his shadow. But hopefully there's no more winter because, guys, I'm sick of it. And I think we're we're done with daylight savings. I think we should start a petition to be like, hey, thanks for springing forward. Now just leave it there because we're not all, you know, tending to our crops anymore. Some people are, and they're wonderful farmers, and I love you if you're listening and you're farming. But you got a tractor. You don't need to be out that late anymore (laughs) i think we can just go back to having daylight all the time i know we'll have less in the winter because of the access of the earth and stuff i listen to star talk i get it but but the sun's been setting at like 3 30 or 4 can we just not redo daylight savings time next time and just have it set at 5 i feel like that's something i can deal with i feel like it's something we all could deal with but i don't know how to talk to or who to talk to i can write i know like I think it's Indiana and Arizona don't do it, because they're real smart. But my only question with you is when you look at your TV guide, do you have to, like, do math every time to be like, ah, oh, what month is it? Can I watch it at this time? I don't know. That's that's some. If, if you live in a non-daylight-savings-time state, let me know. I don't get how it works. I think our whole country should go that way. And, uh, yeah, I'm tired. But it's good tired. It's an excited tired, because we're bringing an episode to you today. As I said, we're going to talk to Nadia Bujarwa, founder of DIA & Co., and the CEO. We have an amazing conversation about what it's like to build a business, who their customers are, who they're reaching out to. She did a collaboration with uh, Rebel Wilson. I think DIA & Co. is one of the, the leaders in the body positive community, and it was such an honor to talk to them. So without further ado, here is Nadia Bujarwa and me chatting it up. Ladies and gentlemen, I am sitting here with the DIA & Co. co co-founder and CEO, Nadia Bajarwa. How you doing?
1: I am great. I am so excited to be here, Zach.
0: That's so exciting. So we're sitting here in the DIA offices for any of you that don't. Well, how would you describe DIA & Co.? to the world in general.
1: Dia is um, an in-home retail experience for women who wear sizes 14 and above. We founded Dia about two and a half years ago, really with the singular objective of making shopping fun, successful, empowering, affirmative for women like me, women who wear a size 14 and above. And that's what we've been up to for for the past two and a half years. And And you've
0: been slaying it.
1: We've had a fun little ride. I
0: know, it's been great. So you were originally from Kuwait.
1: I am. I am from Kuwait. Were you born there,
0: or I mean, that—that's what "from" means, I guess. So I don't know why I asked
1: that. (laughs) I I was not born there.
0: Oh, so it was a good question. But
1: it was—it was kind of a, uh, not. I mean, I'm from Kuwait. Yeah. My parents happened to have been in grad school when I was born here in the U.S. Oh, wonderful. So I happened to have been born at exactly the right moment. Oh,
0: that's um, perfect. To
1: be born in the US, but I did grow up in Kuwait.
0: That's awesome. And what was that like in comparison to the normal? I'm sure a lot of listeners don't know what it would be like in comparison to the normal American upbringing.
1: Yeah. I thought it was pretty normal. Yeah. Um, I went to American schools in Kuwait. So...
0: That also helps.
1: You know, fairly Western upbringing overall, I'd say. Yeah. And I don't know. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to describe. It was felt totally normal.
0: When did you move to the U.S.?
1: I came to the States to go to college.
0: Awesome. Which was at Georgia Tech?
1: I'm close. Oh, I
0: am so bad at my research, everybody.
1: No, you're not. I almost went to Georgia Tech for grad school. Oh, Okay. But I went to uh, the University of Pennsylvania. Oh. Undergrad.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Let's back up a little bit. We'll go back into college later. So I've been big my whole life, and I think one of the things I love about Dia & Co. is that you are... So focused on the bigger woman who doesn't have any options. Was there a time specifically in your life where this all came to fruition, where you started to notice that clothes weren't made for you or that you were somehow stood out from your peers?
1: Yeah. So I have also been big my whole life. I've been many sizes, as I'm sure many women can relate to. But there really was a moment for me when I realized how differently I viewed myself from how the world viewed me. And that happened in high school. Yeah. Uh, High school's, you know, this kind of rough, (laughs) awkward, painful time in general. And I think that really amplified this experience for me. But really one of my most formative experiences around fashion happened around high school prom, which you get to go to at the American school in Kuwait. Oh, that's Um, amazing. That's great. And I really had a very clear picture of what I wanted to wear to prom and it was this beautiful dress for the early 2000s. And I went out shopping with my mom to see if I could find something that looked like it, and there was absolutely nothing. Mm. I was probably a size 22 at the time. Okay. And the options that were available to me in formal wear were you know, kind of more Betty White than high school. Oh, yeah. Um, I love Betty White.
0: I also love Betty
1: White. But it just wasn't the look that I was going for. Yeah. The kind of sequined pantsuit wasn't exactly what I had in mind. And it was just this really jarring experience of realizing I must be different. Yeah. Because why would they want, you know, why would this be what somebody my age would be wearing to prom?
0: Yeah. Was it, it was le- a legit pantsuit? Yeah.
1: Oh my God. I mean, it was like, a, it, like yeah. pantsuits were what was available or, you know, kind of those dresses with boleros and. Oh, of and, course. You know, kind of mother of the bride type stuff.
0: Not not anything a, a not, 17-year-old not a girl 17-year-old wants to wear to her prom. Not a 17-year-old prom
1: ensemble. Yeah. But my mom has always been deeply, deeply supportive and awesome. And yeah. so we, we designed and made a prom dress. That's awesome. And I wore the prom dress that I had in my mind to prom because we made it. Um, and that experience really stuck with me. I, you know, I don't think that I, I didn't kind of think that that would be a career. Yeah choice for me I'm curious to hear if you thought this would be a career choice for you
0: not even a tiny bit I think sometimes I feel like in our careers especially people always ask they're like how do I achieve my dreams how do I do that and I'm always just kind of like well be open to having a different dream than you thought you had because it is it's sometimes you find yourself in a weird place I mean it was the same I never thought before I started modeling I didn't know there were professional big guy models out there and there weren't many there, there, were, weren't. there were there were very few so <laughs> right. i kind of like stumbled into it and luckily for me other models like ashley graham and you know tess holiday and candace huffine and precious lee they're blazing the path for me so i kind of got to tag on the end and then uh retailers like you guys who are taking up this call to arms that for some reason people just don't want to take up i'll never understand that we'll get into that in great detail in a minute so you got to wear your own... So was that your first, like, designing thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, so my mom's a lot better at it than I am.
0: Did your mom... Was she ever, like, a seamstress or anything like that? Or just... Uh, she wasn't, lady but... Lady who knew how to sew. She
1: just... You know how moms kind of know how to do everything? Yeah. yeah oh, she's just, like, one of those thing. things where, you know... I'd never used a sewing machine before, but... Yeah. We had one because she did stuff with it
0: no no moms do everything my mom taught me how to check my oil like it's <laughs> like for the first time i had a car yeah it's funny. that's they're amazing so after prom you move on to you get to go to the universe Penn, mm-hmm. which is ivy league that's pretty damn impressive what were you did you have a focus in high school that kind of got you to
1: Penn? Not really. So I only applied to Penn because I applied early decision to Penn was committed once accepted. Um which is kinda of weird coming from Kuwait, but the truth is that the three smartest people in the grade above me yeah. had went to Penn and I thought that's where that's I'm gonna where I go. go.
0: Yeah. And that's hey, where I went. Listen, it's it's not a bad school to jump into. I
1: love Penn. Yeah. I love Philly, I love Penn. I had a truly, truly wonderful experience there.
0: When you're living at Penn, did you live off campus? Did you live in a Philly apartment and got the whole Philly experience?
1: I did for a little bit. Lived in Center City, Philadelphia for oh, geez. Um, for a couple of years, which was actually really fun. I think Philly is the most underrated city on the East Coast.
0: I, I really enjoy Philly. I really love, uh, for me, growing up, my issue has always been with Philadelphia is that I love the city Mm -hmm. I love visiting one of my best friends went to school in Philly so during college I was there a lot but I hated Philly sports because I was a New York sports fan (laughs) so I like that we can't change no exactly and it's amazing I feel the same way about Boston Boston's one of my favorite cities in the world but like and my mom's from Boston so like Thanksgiving's fun but we don't get along on the sports front But I love everything else about their city.
1: It is. I also lived in Boston for a couple years, and I think overall Boston takes their sports a little bit more seriously. They take it a little
0: too seriously. Philly takes it very seriously. Don't get me wrong. No, you're right. But Philly takes everything seriously, so it's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Like...
1: Philadelphia's great.
0: I, I, I love it. So you lived in Center City. Did you ever experience any Super Bowl-sized riots? No. I mean, they had before won before then. but
1: I know, but I wish I had been there when the Eagles won, but oh no. Oh my God. Not during my four years.
0: That was very fun to watch from, from a distance. From it a was distance. Kind of from a, I did not want to be there. From <laughs> but, a distance. But I had I friends who were down there who was just like, this is me on the lamp post." I was like, <laughs> you get up there, man. So, you going to Penn. what was your major?
1: I majored in economics. Awesome. Um, finance and accounting. Nice.
0: Real so practical stuff. So, you're way better at math than me, is what you're saying.
1: I do like math, but I think um, it definitely wasn't fashion.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, it never is. I, I started going to school for marine biology oh cool yeah in high school i went to a school called bridgeport aquaculture which was actually it was a marine sciences marine biology and aquaculture which is fish farming school so i spent my high school years oh it was there i was like that's what i was doing wow was i was either going to train seals and dolphins for the navy that was one of my ideas um and I wanted to work with whales. I wanted to work with killer whales. I wanted to, like, work at SeaWorld was another thing. Uh, <laughs> this was three blackfish I should also <laughs> mind. Blackfish hadn't come out. We all thought those whales were very happy. <laughs> They're not. Or I wanted to farm fish. That was... It's very weird, specific. So you, so you definitely don't do... You
1: don't do what you think you're going to you do when you're 17 or 18.
0: I can't wait to have kids to just be like, you're, you're not going to... Not tell them they're not going to do that thing. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to support whatever dream you have, but be open to it changing like that, like yeah. on a dime.
1: There was something that I was excited to talk to you about because the truth is that I think that we go through life, especially in the early days sometimes, with you know these kind of like rules for ourselves and things yeah. that we think we're going to want to do and life seems so linear. We're, nice. we're
0: expected to have such a clear idea of what our life's going to be at 17 years old. Yeah. Which is nuts. They actually just, and they essentially, uh, there's, I, there's some study that came out where they increased the age of adolescence to like 24 because they were just like people, 17 year olds can't make decisions. And I'm like, well, where was that? Where were you guys when I signed a hundred thousand dollars student loan bill at yeah. 17 years old? That's true. Being like, I'm going to make so much money farming fish or acting <laughs> one of the two. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we're very lucky, though, because the truth is that I have found it to be extraordinarily liberating yeah. to do something that I love as much as this.
0: Yeah.
1: And I imagine that probably pretty similar for you. Oh,
0: yeah. No, I had I, I didn't. For me, it was something I didn't know I would love, which was the exciting part. <gasps> I was very nervous to get started. So kind of I fell in love while doing it, which is something I really like. So economics, UPenn, doing all your good thing. Almost went to Georgia Tech, didn't. didn't My wife's not. from Georgia, but she was UGA, so it's fine. You, don't <laughs> have to, you didn't have to go to Georgia Tech. Uh, um, so what switched your mind?
1: On going to grad school?
0: Yeah. Was it getting into Harvard? Did that help?
1: No, that didn't <laughs> happen until a couple of years later. Oh, okay. I um I thought that I wanted to be an academic. Everyone in my family, I come from a family of academics, and that was kind of the natural path. But mm. I decided I wanted to be an investment banker instead.
0: Oh, very. And was this pre or post two thousand eight?
1: This was in two thousand eight. Oh.
0: What a time to choose! What a time.
1: <laughs> it was actually really cool because I ended up joining what was effectively a startup investment bank at the time. Yeah. Today it's kind of large and established, but I was in the earliest class of analysts at this bank, which me- which meant that I got to hang out with all the senior guys all the time. Yeah, and learned a ton through the financial crisis. And I'm glad I made that decision.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm sure it, it definitely served you, especially becoming a business owner in the future. Kind of. Knowing the ins and outs a little bit probably (laughs) helped. It
1: did. It did.
0: Awesome. So your investment banking, so you learned a lot while you were investment banking at this startup. So what then made you decide to go to Harvard to pursue a graduate degree there?
1: I did not want to do that for much longer. Oh. Uh, I had a great time. I met some of my most impactful mentors in those years, learned an enormous amount, all packed into three years because you worked so many hours. Yeah. But I knew that I wanted to do something different and honestly, I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And so business school was a, felt like the right place to really explore things and Mm -hmm. to think about, you know, what I wanted to spend my life doing and which parts of my career I wanted to lean into. And fortunately, Dio was born at business school.
0: That's amazing. Now, when, I always wonder when you go to business school, did you go to pursue your business degree to be like, I'm going to work for somebody else or was being your own boss always the goal?
1: I don't think it was my goal to be my own boss out of business school mm-hmm. but I I knew that I wanted to be able to actually take a step back and think about where all my passions kind of intersected. Yeah. And if I had the opportunity to actually pursue them, to do that. Yeah. It turned out that I didn't right after business school because Dia was not, you know, the uh, we hadn't things hadn't fully come together yet yeah. around how we wanted to be able to serve this community what we thought Wonderful. The best solutions were going to be. Well, so so,
0: well, so let's go back a little bit. So you said it was born at Harvard. Mm-hmm. So it was you and your co-founder, Lydia, who came up with... Were you just, you know, hanging out drinking in Boston and thought one day, I'm really tired of not buying clothes for myself?
1: Kind of. Yeah. Lydia <laughs> and I actually met on a shopping trip to the outlet mall outside of Boston. Uh-huh. Oh, so Outlets or uh, the other ones? Woodbury, no, it's not Woodbury Commons. What's the, that's the one here. I can't remember now what the name of the...
0: There's a lot of them. Yeah. There's like, if you go like west of Boston, it just becomes outlet malls for a while.
1: Yeah. Well, we were on a great outlet mall shopping trip. Yeah. And Lynn and I, you know, kind of hit it off. We were in the same section or cohort of business school. So it was a group of people that spent an enormous amount of time together. Yeah. And, you know, kind of became friends instantly. Um, and in our second year of business school, we both actually came across this article in the New York Times on the rise of plus size bloggers. Mhm. And oh, they okay. interviewed Chastity at Garner Style, yeah, and a couple other folks who really were pioneering this idea of style bloggers, oh yeah, in larger sizes. And this was fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. I had never seen a kind of fashion authority mm-hmm. in a size that was anything close to me. Yeah. And the idea that these women were so extraordinarily beautiful and stylish and were so inspiring to me. Yeah. Really Started digging up all these things in my mind of, man, if this had been, if I'd been able to see women who looked like this when I was younger.
0: Totally. I feel like
1: this would have been a total game changer for me. Yeah. And that started a set of conversations. Lydia has a ton of personal experience in the space too. We started talking about it. We went down all these research rabbit holes of thinking yeah. about, you know, what's actually going on here? Are the experiences that we've known so well actually representative?
0: No, absolutely.
1: Or, you know, like what what's actually the state of the union on on plus-size fashion, which is yeah. something that we'd never thought about.
0: Totally. I, I mean, it was the same with me. It was I know all my hang-ups about dressing and expressing myself were all so personal to me. There weren't yeah. things I shared with exactly. other people. So I had no idea if other people had any thoughts or feelings on what it was like to not be able to go into any store and buy clothes.
1: Yeah. It's funny that you say that because the truth is that I don't think that I admitted to anybody that I made that prom dress until we started Dia. Get Because out. I wanted everyone, I didn't want to be the one that couldn't get it at the store.
0: I know. That was the same with me. I didn't want to admit that I was wearing like, in high school, if, if there was, like, a formal thing, I didn't want to admit that I was wearing my dad's suit. Yeah. Like, and my dad was, you know, he's tall, but he's not that big. I didn't want to not only admit that I was wearing my dad's suit, but that, like, my dad's suit was snug on me. Yeah. I didn't want people to know. It, it's, it's the thing about growing up bigger in our society, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Everything is marketed towards, in order to be beautiful, this is the tiny little box you have to go into. And... It's drilled into you from when you're a tiny little child. Like, I, I don't know where I learned it. I don't think anyone ever told me anything. But at, like, four years old, I knew being fat meant you were ugly and that was bad. Mm-hmm. No one told me that, but it was like I knew it as much as I knew that the sky was blue, yeah. is that fat was bad. And I was tiny little child. Where did I learn that?
1: So, that I mean, that scientifically is true we follow all the research on weight bias and one of the things that has come out pretty clearly in the research is that children as young as the age of three have already begun to internalize weight bias Jeez. which is just remarkable it and I, I think it just also i think that it 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 highlights how far we have to go yeah and how deeply rooted some of the dynamics that define the industry that we operate in yeah. really are
0: yeah it, it's it, i don't i don't have all the answers but i think doing things like dia and co is part of the answers just you said earlier that you never felt yourself represented mm-hmm. as a young person. Can you talk more about that?
1: Yeah, so I've always I've always loved style. Yeah. I've always loved fashion. I have this extraordinarily fashionable grandmother. And I just remember as a child, loving watching her get ready in the morning and raiding her closet and trying on all her jewelry. And it's always just been a part of self-expression for me. But no one who kind of I look to for inspiration ever looked like me. Mm -hmm. Because if you pick up a magazine or if you are watching TV or watching a movie or all the places where we really, you know, define taste and Mm -hmm. get inspiration on style, even today, such a teeny tiny fraction. Yeah. Of the women that you would see in any of those contexts are, you know, much above a size two or four, much less 12 or 14. Oh, yeah. And so now the nice thing is that because the community has really blossomed in a way and the ecosystem is starting to be built out. Even if the images that are so inspiring to me are not yet fully in the mainstream, they're available. Yeah. And that, I think, is the first step towards progress.
0: I, I, I totally agree. I know I used to say if... When I was young, John Goodman won like People's Sexiest Man Alive, and it wasn't a joke because that's yeah. for me. If that was the big thing for big guys, is you could be considered handsome, but it was like it's funny that you're handsome, isn't it? Isn't it's it the same? Crazy? It's the same and
1: for it's women though. Fucking, you know, it's, Think it, about the roles that most you know actresses above the size four above a size fourteen are playing. Yeah, it's usually comedic relief. Yeah, w- which really is
0: there was one movie. Did you see Patty Cakes by any chance? Yes. Oh my God. Thank you. I I keep trying to talk about this movie because (laughs) no one else has seen it because it did have a very limited release, but I personally saw myself in her so much. And I think one of the most amazing parts of that movie no spoilers in case I mean, I, I'm also weird about spoilers. I don't know. I'm gonna pop Everyone should go watch it. We're trying to figure I'm 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 trying to figure out how, how much I'm allowed <laughs> to say about movies, what I do. But anyway, everyone has to go watch it. It's a story of a big girl in New Jersey who wants to be a rapper and is kept down for not just reasons of size, but her socioeconomic status and just this small town idea of trying to get out, which I think we all have feel so deeply also since she is a big girl i identified with her so much and i think one of my favorite parts of that movie is that in it there is a romantic, an intimate scene, a sex scene with her, and it's not a joke. It is straightforward, just the same you would see in any teen movie, and it's not jokes about like, oh, we don't, we're gonna fall off the bed or like, because I've seen um, sex scenes with big people before, and it's like they take off their bra and oh, look how big it is, and it's we're always made to be the joke, but yeah. in Patty Cake's there was you weren't the joke it was just showing what a person goes through and I remember like above all in that that movie that really stuck with me was the fact that it was just a straightforward intimate romance scene that the same you would see any skinny couple doing yeah I love that movie oh yeah,
1: I, I totally agree
0: I love that movie I so totally much. agree it's so much better than Lady Bird I'm sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I liked Lady Bird. It was fine, but Patty Cakes
1: was so good. Patty Cakes is excellent.
0: Oh, man. I, I Sorry, I lost my train of thought because I love that movie so much. Um, so let's go back. to So you guys started off with Dia. You and Lydia. You're brainstorming. You're saying, wow, there's a need in this market. Let's fill it. How long did it take to go from idea to actual inception of starting a business together?
1: It took a long time because yeah. we really started with a blank sheet of paper And we said, our goal here is to solve this problem that we know so well, Mm -hmm. but we have no horses in the race, right? We don't have a specific business model that we think we need to do. We don't know whether it needs to be a single brand or a store or a Mm -hmm. direct-to-consumer experience. We don't know. And we don't want to come into this with any preconceived notions. We just want to think about if we were going to force rank what we thought the most painful parts of the experience were. Yeah. And just knock each one off the list as we tried to create a better and better and better experience for her. What would that look like? And that took time. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I think was also important to us is that, you know, I think it's a huge advantage and something that is really powerful and that we have such personal experiences in the space. Yeah. But we really wanted to hear from as many other women as possible too. Mm-hmm. And to make sure that, you know, the truth is that there's a selfish, of agenda at DNA because I get to benefit from all of it.
0: Oh, yeah. Right?
1: Like, totally. these jeans, I love these jeans. These are DIA jeans. Yeah. And, you know, not being able to have both the perspective of the incredible community that exists in our market yeah. and the fact that there are a hundred million women in that community yeah. and each and every one of them is unique and has different, you know, is in a different place in her style journey, has different preferences we want to be able to cater to all of it. Mm-hmm. And my own preferences is something that took us we wanted to be really thoughtful around really make yeah. sure that, you know, we were getting a really universal view on what the problem was. So if we started thinking about this in the spring of 2013, uh-huh. DIA didn't really start until May of 2015. Okay. So almost two years.
0: Yeah. Well, it's not an easy thing to just, especially since, as you said, it is such, I think what, what's daunting about sometimes when you have such a big problem, For example, 100 million women are underserved in the fashion category Mm -hmm. in America. That's such a huge issue that I think it must take a while to ruminate. And I think you guys came up with an amazing concept to boot. So you launched in 2015. Was it always direct to consumer was, was, you know, what you guys had decided on?
1: Yeah. So what I think we wanted to make sure that we had was a really deep and trusting relationship with our customers. And Mm -hmm. that meant that we wanted to get to know her personally as well as possible. Our commitment at Dia is to understand her better than anyone else will. Yeah. And to put her first always. And that meant really being able to build a business that was rooted in, a deeply trusting relationship with consumers which is effectively what we where we landed yeah our customers share a really extraordinary amount with us yeah. um and that's something that's very sacred and that's well, something it, that we really it's
0: because they trust you they understand they know that you'll understand yeah. it's so hard to open up to i i mean even now with my wife she's a she's very skinny and Every now and then I'll get really offended by something Mm -hmm. and she won't know why. And I'm like, you just don't understand. I know you're not meaning anything, but I grew up with this in my ear for my entire life. So even though you're like, it's, there's a lot of scar tissue, I think, with big people because we had gone through the ringer being called ugly and being called fat and feeling undesirable <laughs> since we were like four or five years right. old and, and getting
1: it, you know friendly advice and yeah it's only for your best it's only only have your best interest at heart kind of which, stuff which
0: is not true uh, it drives yeah. me nuts I I hate that argument my, my biggest hate <laughs> of of the uh you need to lose weight arguments is the health one because I always want to go like did you see my blood work do you know, did you run a, a lap with me? Why are you saying that? You have yeah. no idea what my personal health is. You have absolutely no, like that's between me and my doctor. I feel good. I'm get around just fine. I, uh, it, it's, it's a very, I think it's become a way to, it's, it's almost like the other side of PC culture. I feel like it's been a very PC way to call someone fat and ugly yeah. is by saying like, I'm just concerned about your health. It's like, no, no, you're not, but you yeah. know.
1: I mean, the the truth though is that white bias is one of the very few prejudices that, as a community, as a society, we've decided is still acceptable. Yeah. And I'm not sure why that's the case. And I I think that's something that my deep, deep, deep hope is that if we are sitting here in 10 years, the idea that a comment like that could be made and it be socially acceptable. Yeah. Is you know, kind of an alien thought to us and it's, in our future and
0: states. And it's lazy to me. It's also like a lot of comedians will use like weight jokes. And if you're making a weight joke about yourself, one of my favorite comedians in the world is John Pinette. 95% of his material is about how big he is. Yeah. And but that's different. That's his journey. He's self-deprecating. It's hilarious. The other day, about a couple months ago on Bill Maher, and I like Bill Maher. A lot of people hate him, but I enjoy watching him. He made a joke about Trump, who I personally don't like, uh, whatever, dear viewers, whatever your thoughts and opinions are on him, good for you. Just know that I don't like him. And I enjoy a little Trump bashing. It's fun for me to listen to. But he had a bit where the whole thing, he goes, there's one thing we're all forgetting. Like, forget all this other stuff. Forget that he's assaulted women. Forget that he's a racist. Forget that he's a crook. Forget that he's ruined his economy. He's fat. And he used that as like the be all end all. He's like, he, everyone keeps forgetting he's fat and i was like oh man i hate him and you're making me have to take his side in this argument where i'm like bill maher you're a professional comedian you've been doing this for 30 years that's the best you're still can do. making shitty fat jokes yeah. it's the laziest form of comedy in the world and i was so, i i i can't stand it, it yeah. it's so comedians have to i think everyone in society is holding themselves to a higher standard as we go along And comedians, I think, have to hold themselves to a higher standard. I'm not. I'm. I I was a comedian before. I'm not saying there are things that are taboo. But if you're gonna make a joke, don't go. Ha ha. He's fat. That's. (laughs) It's just a shitty joke. I'm almost more mad at you as a comedian. I'm like, come on, man. You have a writing staff.
1: This is what you come up with. Oh,
0: drives me nuts. I'm with you. So you have been doing an amazing job to serve her. You guys have a really good, as you said before, like social media interaction. There's a lot of testimonials, I'm sure, shared by the actual viewers. Are there any one, customers, are there any social media posts or interactions that really stood out to you?
1: Yeah. So we recently launched for the month of February a campaign called Full Body Love. Mm hmm. And that came from a series of posts and conversations that we were having with customers who were talking specifically about um, the fact that even though they felt so great in these new outfits and were enjoying the style journey that they were on through their DIA experience, they still were hiding themselves in photos. Hmm. And we heard time and again about women who stood in the back of the group photo. Yes. Or, you know, would take a shoulder up photo. And out of that and out of conversations that came um, from those members of the community we launched this campaign which is about showing your full body in a photo yeah and really celebrating every part of you because each and every one of us is unique and beautiful and valuable mm-hmm. and that's not just true from the head up so. I lo-
0: and I love that you said that it's I mean I wouldn't take a full body photo and I'm a guy and I still didn't. Before be
1: you like. leave here today, we are gonna get a full body love photo of you. Oh. You and I together.
0: I would love that.
1: And we will post it oh. so that you can join the full body love.
0: I would absolutely love that. Campaign. I know that it's a lot of people think Dia is just like a subscription box. And I know that subscription is an option, but you guys do way more than that. Yeah. What what are some of the options are Listeners have if they've been starting to get inspired by the idea and want to come on and and get some clothes
1: So I think the thing that's been unique about the from the very beginning is how Broad our view of the different ways that we can serve our customer is and the Mm -hmm. truth is that we Don't really define ourselves or think about our identity in terms of any single service or product We think about it in terms of the community that we serve and continuing to expand how we do that is basically our daily mandate yeah um so you know today we do everything from obviously you know both a la carte and subscription box services mm-hmm. we have awesome awesome content if you guys are interested in some really great quality content on facebook yeah. live we're on facebook live i think three nights a week now oh i know i
0: watched marge's We've, the other day oh marge's <laughs> was so good
1: Marge's. Uh, is a dia treasure she is she's she's a jewel shout out to march yeah but we also you know we also design a lot of clothing so we've launched a number of brands really to be able to fill in the gaps that we saw Mm -hmm. from what our you know customers were asking for and what we realized just wasn't possible to get if we were depending on other brands to make it yeah and so you know a big part of of what we've done the last year is really start to build the brands that we know she wants the most yeah Um, and then that's been really really fun
0: that's awesome Um, When did it go from just you and Lydia in the company to actually hiring because now you have like 350 I'm looking out at your office and every desk is full. (laughs) You have like 300 plus employees.
1: It happened quickly. Yeah, we um, We probably by the end of 2015 had maybe 40 people on the team. That's awesome. And we now have more than 500
0: More than 500? Holy Toledo. Um, Is this your only office, or do you guys have... No,
1: we have a big team in Indianapolis. Awesome. Shout out to Indy. Yeah, yeah. We have a really awesome team in Dallas, Texas, and we have a team in L.A.
0: That's so great. You're hitting all the the corners of... Mm -hmm. Great towns. Great towns. Great towns. So... Can I ask you a question? Yeah, you can ask me whatever you
1: want. I would love to hear your perspective. We obviously live and breathe the women's plus size market every day. Totally. And I feel like the men's market doesn't get nearly as much. Yes. Kind of attention or progress. Why do you think that is?
0: I think it's we're late to it. Um, One of the big differences I think with plus men and plus women is the, the there's still like a 1950s bullshit masculinity aspect that we contend with. I think you can agree that a lot of This whole like plus fashion revolution has been born on the internet Mm -hmm. because finally these communities of women are coming together and being like, hey, I've felt this way my whole life. Anyone else out there feel that way? And 100 million people raise their hand and go, yeah, yeah, no, me too. That's that's the same with men. But I think with men, we're taught from an early age that we're not supposed to care about our looks unless we're good looking. That's the uh, good looking guys are allowed to care about their looks and do their hair all they want. (laughs) uh <laughs> the rest of us guys aren't supposed to care about what we look it's can it's frowned upon it's girly having body issues makes you weak A- and everything's focused on whether you appear powerful or whether you appear weak so admitting there's still that like toxic masculine ideal that admitting feelings admitting Um, insecurities admitting any negative thoughts about yourself is is considered weakness which I fully disagree with it's not weak it's it's strength being vulnerability is the hardest thing to do anyone could put up a shell and try to ignore the world but being vulnerable being open is very difficult I think the men's market is coming to that but it's taken a little time. I know we're all inspired by what the women's market's been doing, not just with retailers, but with the online community and with models. I mean, I, I again, I'm, the doors to me being a big and tall brawn model were broken down by the plus and curve models. Yeah. They shattered the door for me. I walked through going, hey, I'm here too. <laughs> so thank you guys. I think it's coming. I think another big issue with it is a little bit of re-education for the market also. You have guys who have never bought clothes in their life. Their wives, their mothers have bought clothes. They're wearing hand-me-downs from other people. So they, you know, other than a t-shirt with a funny saying on it, they haven't bought clothes before. They don't know how they can feel. The big thing is to try to raise the self-esteem of this group of guys who have been ignored by fashion, have been ignored by society. So they've reverted into this shell Mm -hmm. and... They're going to take a little more coaxing to get out than women because they also don't want to admit to the other people in their shells that they feel like they're in a shell. It's going to happen. And it is happening. And other retailers are stepping up and other retailers are trying to... There's a lot of people who have extended their sizing. I've been a part of modeling for people extending their sizing. But there's still a long way to go. And also... As I'm sure you know, in the women's side, the biggest problem, I think, is with luxury brands. The people that we, the common person aspires to when they think fashion, they're thinking of these top brands. They're thinking of, you know, the Yves Saint Laurents and the Gucci's and the Chanel's and the Versace's and all that. And um, those don't offer anything for big guys, I know. There's a couple that do go up in size. Gucci does make bigger Mm. sizes, but they will never advertise it. Or they haven't yet. I don't know if they never will. Hey, Gucci, I'm here. Uh, <laughs> I'll stop talking shit if you hire me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it's true. It's So there's still a very old mindset in the highest ends of fashion that you need yeah. to be this stick thin person. So there's a lot of barriers, I think, on both sides to break down when it comes to that. But what I like is the disruptors in it. For a long time, I thought... The only way we were going to be accepted in fashion was to get these high-end designers to finally start offering bigger sizes, to advertise bigger sizes. Now, I think that would still be an enormous help, but the disruptors in the industry, like Dia and co, who are saying, we're not going to wait around for you guys. We're going to make our own stuff. I think that's the the biggest driving force of this industry. I always say that like the women's plus community is... At what, over twenty billion dollar industry right now, which is still only a tiny slice we of think fashion. It should be a hundred. It should be. It should be a hundred billion dollar business. Yeah. It's still but still it's a twenty billion dollar business. And when I meet designers who aren't sure if they want to go into big and tall clothing and brawn clothing, I tell them I was like, Women's Plus is a hundred is a you know, a twenty billion dollar business. I said, even if we did a quarter of that, there's five billion dollars out there sitting on a table that no one's grabbing. Yeah. And it just it blows my mind. Yeah. But I
1: I agree with you wholeheartedly on the luxury side. I, you know, I don't think that I'll, I'll speak for the women's side of the equation that yeah. anyone's waiting around for those folks anymore. And I yeah. think the really incredible thing about the Internet is that it's let us chart our own course and say, you know what? We would love to be able to have a mm-hmm. collaborative, you know, kind of positive experience with luxury brands. But in the meantime, and really, regardless, we're going to make the clothes that we love ourselves. Yeah. The thing that I think people underestimate, though is the impact that having those luxury brands set those expectations has on the market, not because everyone's actually gonna buy the product, but because retailers down market all take their cues from luxury. Exactly. It's like that scene from The Devil Wears Prada, where Anne Hathaway's character kind of scoffs at the discussion that they're having between two belts because she thinks that they're identical. And Meryl Streep's character tells her, you don't realize that basically everything that you buy is decided in this room like the, the blue in the sweater that you're wearing yeah. is the blue that I picked two seasons ago. Yeah, And it's true, right? If yeah. those decisions happen, those expectations are set, those notions of beauty are defined the, in yeah. the highest levels, then everyone else just follows suit.
0: I know. I know. And it's such an old model that we followed for so long that we are breaking out of that. It's changing changing. big time because people are.
1: No one's going to wait around.
0: One of the good things about, you know, the advances in technology and especially the internet is we have the tools right here to just do it. So there's a lot of arguments that some of these people make for not providing big and or, you know, bigger sizes. I think the main thing is that from like a two or a zero to a 12 they can essentially use mostly the same pattern and just kind of scale up and they use the idea of making another pattern as being this like financially destroying thing like we can't go off pattern has it financially destroyed you guys to use different patterns for bigger people
1: we we've made it work (laughs) yeah well here's what i'll say though the truth is that if your heart's not in it yeah right if you don't genuinely and sincerely want to bring an exceptional product to market for this community don't do it yeah right don't you know don't do us any favors don't agree just don't do it yeah and there are plenty of folks you know us certainly um at the top of that list that will go to the ends of the earth for this customer yeah and we'll do it you know because it's our dream to do that yeah and you know we'll get there
0: yeah no and you are getting there and We're very thankful you're getting there. Thank you. Um, so you guys wrote a letter last year mm-hmm. You took out a full page ad essentially kind of being like hey designers What the fuck? <laughs> Why aren't you doing this? Yeah, and you guys That was a big thing for you and it ended up leading to other opportunities Can you talk about you? So you read you, you put that letter in the was it in the Times or the Post? Would you? It was in the it? New
1: York Times, yeah. So
0: you put that big old letter in the New York Times. How long before people like Rebel Wilson started calling, asking to be a part of this?
1: So we, in that letter, we said, if you are committed to serving this community exceptionally, give us a call. Yeah. And you know, tons of exciting things still coming from that. But that day, we put a phone number on that yeah. ad just to see. Yeah. would Call, and Rebel's team called that day and you know we're all mega super duper rebel fans fans. yeah exactly and being able to launch that line with her which we did in july yeah was like a crazy dream come true she is an extraordinary person she is she she is so talented she is so beautiful she was so committed to making that line deeply successful yeah beautifully constructed really kind of in her aesthetic it was a dream
0: yeah no, she's an amazing person. I was lucky enough to come to the launch. That was party. a fun party. That was so much fun. That was a fun party. It was, it was so and I think what I love about it is how I love coming here. I love your team. So it I don't like a lot of fashion parties. I really don't enjoy them. And my wife yeah. gets mad at me because she really enjoys them and I really <laughs> don't enjoy them. But with Dia and with other like plus shows and plus parties I've been to, it is so different because the camaraderie there, it's always such a big, I feel like in opposed to other like realms of fashion, the plus community is such a, a place for love and acceptance and support and everyone's complimenting each other and not in a like pretentious way in like a legit, like that looks great. Where'd you get it? Okay. I'm going to get it. This this is, I'm, uh,
1: it was so fun, and it was and Rebel partied. Yeah, she was right. there partying she, the whole she time. She was like, she was she was there for it. It was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, she's super cool. I'm way taller than her. I learned, I took a picture with her. And I'm, I'm significant. I have a feeling
1: you're way taller than most people. I
0: really am, and I don't realize it until like I see photos of people.
1: Yeah, I'm five foot three, so I feel like yeah. I, I realize it immediately.
0: Yeah, no, but. I don't. Oh jeez, I don't even think about it. <laughs> so in order to keep this industry going. Is there anything besides making the amazing content and the amazing product you guys are making? What do you think of the next steps the industry has to make to keep this movement alive and well?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so the world that we're building is a world where every woman has equal access to expressing her style no matter what size she wears. Yeah. And the truth is that that is going to take much more than just fashion. It's going to take much more than, you know, any number of brands can do on their own. Mm-hmm. It really has to come from all the places in society that contribute to the way that we feel about ourselves and the way that we think about, you know, shopping and our bodies. Right. So that's entertainment. Yeah. It's media. It's sports it's it you know really i think that there will need to be a very comprehensive shift across the board for us to get to a place where not only does she have access to the clothes that she wants the most in a context in which she is comfortable and supported and and celebrated Mm -hmm. but that she lives in an environment where she is inspired to explore that part of herself yeah right and i think that that's something that will take years certainly to get to kind of a place where we think we've made real progress there but also it'll just take all kinds of people across the ecosystem and one of the things that we've been committed to do at Dea from the very beginning is to work with everybody. Yeah. Right. There's no part of this ecosystem that we're not excited to collaborate in, Mm -hmm. that we're not excited to build. And so this week was actually the one year anniversary of the New York Times ad. Yeah. And we put out or I put up a thing on LinkedIn basically asking people to ping us. Let us know if you want to collaborate on something that may not be strictly about fashion or style, but yeah, we're committed to the whole picture here. Um, And any way that we can be a part of moving each of those conversations forward. Yeah. We're fully committed to do.
0: That's amazing. And I think that is the key is supporting every aspect of this because the the bigger community has spent so many years in the dark and in the last like, you know, five or six years are starting to come out of their shell. And the amount of st- of amazing things that have happened in the five or six years since Facebook groups started popping up right. talking about it is is just incredible.
1: I mean, the time is different. I will tell you without a doubt that we could not have built this business as quickly as we have even five years ago. Yeah. The time is now. No. Um, and really making sure that we are leaning as far into this momentum as possible and Absolutely. carrying this forward as quickly as we can is what we're here for.
0: And you're doing a hell of a job. We are loving it. It's, it's It's been a blast. You've been doing such great work. Before we wrap up, I always ask everyone, a lot of my listeners out there feel that they have a dream that they cannot accomplish because of X, Y, and Z. X, Y, and Z are their size, their gender, their sexuality, their socioeconomic status, their religion, what have you, they feel like they're put down by society because of X, Y, and Z, and they'll never get there because of X, Y, and Z. What advice would you have for the person whose that thought is so drilled into their head?
1: It's a good question. I think that I'll speak from my personal experience. Yeah. Absolutely. In that, the areas in my life where I have had the most challenges have ended up being the deepest sources of inspiration for me. hmm. And I think that the reality is that doing anything extraordinary, your ability to do anything extraordinary is really dependent on how resilient you can be and how committed and passionate you can be around something once you've really defined what what that is. Mm -hmm. And there's no greater source of resilience than challenge. And really having proven to yourself that whatever it is that you think has held you back, overcoming that is actually like a jet fuel pack. And if you really kind of lean into it and uh, tap into all of those experiences and let them be sources of inspiration. The world is your oyster.
0: I love that. Nadia, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Zach. Awesome. Yeah. Let's go take a picture together.
1: Let's, full body <laughs> love everyone. <laughs> Hashtag full body love.
0: Absolutely. Um, everyone, please go check out DIA and co on the internets at DIA No. Yes. D- DIA.com. DIA.com. Even better. Go to, go check out everything on DIA.com. Follow all the social medias. The Twitters, the Instagrams, pay attention. They're streaming stuff like three days a week, guys. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of there. We have of content lots of fun over
1: there. here and would love to hang out. So
0: Exactly. Go check it out. Awesome. Nadia, thank you so much. Thanks. Sir. Yes, she is absolutely right. Your greatest challenges sometimes yield the best results. I mean, being resilient is one of the hardest things, it's one of the hardest pieces of advice you can give to somebody. Just be like, hey, be resilient and it'll work out. But it's hard for a reason, because it's true. Through these hard times, you end up finding out who you are at the core. And I think it makes you not just a stronger individual, but it, it for me, it gets the creative juices flowing. And I know it does for Nadia too. she wouldn't have built dia if she didn't overcome all these challenges in her life she's an amazing person and an amazing role model and i was so happy to have her on guys if you want some amazing clothing please go to dia.com go check it out they do boxes they do a la carte they are they have fashion lines with rebel wilson as we've mentioned they're amazing and please Go check it out. Go check us out on the social medias. You can check out my social media at Zach Miko, Z-A-C-H-M-I-K-O, on Twitter and Instagram. Send me your comments, your thoughts, your questions, and all that stuff. Go to BigThingsPod.com. Go to our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash BigThingsPod. All that great stuff. Please remember to review and to subscribe because things will just keep getting better. Next week, we're talking to the one and only Barbie Ferreira. It's going to be an amazing episode, and I cannot wait to see you guys there. Until then, remember to go out in the world and do big things.